Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker podcast. We are previewing the racing on Saturday, mainly at Ascot and a race at York as well for the return or the second run, I should say, of the season for Enable in the King George. I'm joined by two of Odds Checker's fantastic stable of tipsters. Of course, it is the famous Andy Holding, who's been knocking around for a while, banging in winners for Odds Checker followers for a fairly long time, and one of the newer members of the team in Daryl Carter, whose exclusive naps of the day you can find on the Odds Checker app. And, and Daryl, you've had a, a pretty good run as of late, I, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, yeah, it's been going quite well, actually. Um, plus 24 points, I think, at the moment for July. So hopefully that good form can continue. Very good. And Andy, as ever, um, how are you finding things at the moment? Yeah, similar to Daryl, um, July's been OK. The last two or three days, not so good. But um, the last sort of fortnight or so, pretty strong. Um, Ascot was good, fairly good. Um, looking forward to next week as well. Obviously, we're covering this weekend, which is great news. But... Um, other than Cheltenham Festival, I think it's probably my favourite race meetings of the year next year, uh, next week. Uh, Goodwood in particular, Galway. That seven-day bonanza over in Ballybrick. It's right up my street. Um, you know, national hunt racing, flat racing of highest or lowest quality, depending on which way you look at it. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, really um, yeah, I'm keen for that to get underway on Monday. Well, Andy, we're going to be sick of the sight of each other by this time next week because we're speaking today, <laughs> we're speaking tomorrow, we're speaking on Monday. We are previewing a whole host of the racing in the next week or so. So anybody listening to this or watching this, make sure you keep your eyes peeled because there'll be plenty of Goodwood and hopefully Galway content coming your way from Andy. I'll do my best to say as little as possible. Before we get into the racing, I'm just going to point you in the direction of the Odds Checker app. Make sure you download it right now. Uh, There you can get the best odds, the best bookie offers, free bets, and of course, the best tipsters in the game two of which are joining me right now for this. And as I say with Daryl, you can exclusively get his tip on the app. So if you like what Daryl has to say, and I'm sure that you will, then you have to download the app to get his nap into your phone as quickly as possible before those prices start to go. But of course, check on the checker and the app for the best prices as well. We are going to start by going through the kind of main four races, we'll say, at Ascot on Saturday. So that is starting with the Pat Edery stakes going into the uh, the international stakes, the Mary Shandon international stakes, then the, uh, the Nifty 50 big handicap, and then the King George. And then we're going to finish off by chatting through the York stakes as well, which is wedged in the middle of those races during the day. Uh, we're recording this just after one o'clock on Thursday. So we've got the markets are basically just reforming as we speak. We've got the prices back out. It does mean that quite often these prices move fairly quickly because you know they're effectively first issue prices after some of the runners come out. So apologies if Andy gives you a huge word for one. By the time you're listening, it's shortened up. But we endeavour as ever to give you the best prices and you will find them on the app. So starting with the 150 at Ascot, which is the Pat Edery Stakes, the listed race, formerly the Winkfield Stakes. And we have uh, Toisol for Owen Burrows. is the 130 favourite. Uh, Saikwa. John Gosden at seven to two, St Lawrence, Roger Varian four to one, Naval Crown five to one, and then eleven to one. Bar Andy, come to you here first. Seven furlong affair. This, what catches your eye at the current prices? Um, well, it's a difficult one, really. Which one sets the standard? Um, depends on um, whether you believe in speed figures or not. I'll just raw form, as it were. 
you'd argue that Saika is the standard bearer based on that third in the the Coventry Stakes, which is normally a very good uh, barometer for the rest of the season with regards to year olds. But I happen to feel as though this year's Coventry was slightly substandard. Certainly on the numbers, I was quite surprised when I did the speed figures uh, for that uh, race at the Boxer Track a few weeks back and f- finding it so poor. I couldn't quite work it out, really. And I watched the race back quite a few times to see one or two little nuances here, there and everywhere and, and didn't really know what to make of it. Um, all in all, I was just a bit... Left a bit cold with that form. Even though I did I like Seeker and I, I put him up that day and he ran really well. I'd have to say he, he might have a little bit to, on his plate here up against Toussaint, who, of course, won the Woodcock quite impressively. Uh, I thought he did well, actually, because it was a quietly slowly run race. It was only a small field. I think there was only five runners. And he, he quickened up well to win. He quickened up well as well at Windsor when he won on his debut, beating a nice horse of Simon and Ed Chrisford, who's gone on to win subsequently. Um, so I, I do think he's the most progressive horse of the two. I think he's the right favourite. Um, but sandwich in between Saiko and Twassel is a, a nice horse of Roger Varian's, who I think is probably the value bet. I'm probably looking to put this horse a beach way if we can get four to one or bigger. And that's St. Lawrence, who um, won a very lowly race at Red Car, as he's suggested he would two starts ago. Uh, and then they pitched him into Group 2 company last time out at Newmarket. And he finished fourth behind Master of the Seas. Now, that horse clocked a very big number when that horse won on the July course um, a couple of weeks ago. I do think that race is of a fairly high standard. Certainly, the the, the better of the, the time figures that we have just discussed. And the horse that finished at fifth in that race, uh, Ventura Tormenta, of course, lowered the colours of the Learjet uh, over in France mm. on Sunday. So, I think, collaterally, that form and that time figure is very much the best what I've got going into this race. And I thought St. Lawrence travelled really well. You could argue he just didn't quite get home, and that would be my only slight bug there after his stiff seven furlongs ascot. A stiff or arguably slightly stiffer um, seven furlongs in the July course just caught him out. Um, but I do like him. He goes well through his races. And I think we can back it, if I can say, you can back him each way based on those time figures that he did at, uh, at the July course. And I think he's probably the one I go with. So, St. Lawrence, the selection for Andy, a four to one. Before I go to you, Daryl, is there any, because I know you are obviously Andy the man to go to for the kind of two year old form and your record in two year old races is brilliant. And we've got a couple of kind of very you know, horses with one run under their belt with its naval crown. It came third on debut. Cobb and Chindit both winning on debut and pitching up here for their second start. Any of these are bigger prices put in a decent time? No, none of them at all. Um, it doesn't mean to say they can't. Of course, that's the, the difficulty when you're assessing two-year-olds. They've just had the one run. You've only got one sample size. And if they've run in a slowly run race and they've won it, it doesn't mean to say that's as good as they're ever going to be. They might improve tenfold if they go in a stronger run race. But me as a numbers man, I'll always go with horses that have done that, done it. Because when you're going up that grade or two higher, like some some of these are, some of them might get to get found out. It's a bit of a culture shock having uh, running slowly run races. All of a sudden now they've got to run flat out over a stiff track. I know with the numbers that St Lawrence has already done that he's liable to do that. So the likes of Chindit, um, Cobb, for instance, who won at Haydock, game very slowly run races. I noticed the horse that got beat uh, by Cobb uh, was odds on the other day of Charlie Hills and got beat. So again. Yeah, you're looking for guides and, and information off these slowly run races. Are they are they good or bad? And um, that, I think they've got to improve a hell of a lot. Uh, Naval Crown ran really well on his debut uh, over on the July course, uh, when th- finishing third uh, behind Old School Youth Spirit, who um, is quite a nice horse. And, and the third horse, Modern Youth, I think he'll, he'll be a better horse as the season goes on. That wasn't a bad uh, novice stakes. But again, those ones with just the one run, they've got to improve significant. I like the ones who've run two or three times. and as I said, without repeating myself, St Lawrence is the one. So 
St. Lawrence for four to one. I think everybody listening and watching, Andy, is happy for you to repeat yourself when you're repeating your tip. That's absolutely fine, especially if it goes in. Daryl, what do you make of the race? Um, do you know what? I've not normally got a strong opinion on these two-year races, as you know, because of, just like Andy just said, the amount, the amount they can take a step forward or take a step backwards next time is always a slightly worrying when I'm having a bet. But these have got quite a few form lines that, that intertwine with each other. Uh, you mentioned Naval Crown there. He's, it's got a form line through Magic Land that ties in with St. Lawrence. Um, uh, Magic Land was actually ahead of Naval Crown. I'm surprised that they've not put Magical, uh, Magic Land, Magical Land in here instead of Naval Crown because Magical Land was so slowly away and then finished on the bridle just on ha- hands and heels, uh, beat Naval Crown quite comfortably. He had to work a little bit harder to beat St. Lawrence, um, albeit that was on debut. St. Lawrence does look like... Uh, he does look the solid option in here. His form stacks up everywhere. Um, obviously, from his debut run, the fifth and sixth one next time out, including the Royal Ascot winner. Um, the, of his win, that was sandwiched in between those two fourths. The third won a four-runner race next time out, and the second and third of that went out and won, won next time as well. So it is really rock solid. That group two run in the Superlative Stakes was, was red hot. Um, I do like him. I just have the same concern, actually, as Andy, uh, with his finishing effort. <laughs> And where I think Tower Saul step up seven furlongs is definitely really going to suit him. Um, real nice run at Epsom, just looked so inexperienced, didn't really handle the track, jumped the path, didn't really know what to do when his head hit the front, but then he stayed on quite strongly through the line. I mean, I just, I really like, I thought it was a taking performance. And I think the more experience he gets, uh, I think he's going to be very tough to beat here. So Twassel and St. Lawrence, the two are looking at the, at the current prices. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I'm not entirely convinced that Sahika wants seven furlongs either at the moment. Okay. So It's always tough to be on a podcast following Andy because he talks so much sense. <laughs> he said all the things you want to say before we even get there. So we're going to move on to the next round and I'll give you first run. Um, and that is the uh, Moe and Shandon International Stakes, the Class 2 handicap. Uh, and here we have, just letting the market reform, we have Blue Mist is the 9-2 to two favourite for Roger Charlton, ridden by Ryan Moore. Uh, Ebury for Martin Mead is 7-1. to one. Uh, Muta Masik for Roger Varian, 11-1. to one. Cliffs of Capri, 14-1 uh, to one for Jamie Osborne. Um, Ashazi, 14-1 to one as well, alongside Gin, Palace and Baird of Kent. And Charlie Fellows has, uh, and Richard Spencer, two up-and-coming Newmarket trainers, both at 16-1 to one with Chief of Chiefs and Kaiser Sose. Daryl, as I said, as I promised, you can have first run here. Um, maybe more up your street this one with with plenty of form lines to go through. Uh, yeah, it's taking your fancy. Uh, it is, but I'm already down um, a punt on this as well because Brian Epstein has come out at the last minute, and I was I felt for sure he was going to run over this seven furlong. But um, I think we should talk about the draw first of all. Royal Ascot, it was it was such it was so obvious that you know the draw bias, but it, it wasn't just Royal Ascot, it's been there for a very long time. I mean, if you go back through the past winners of this race, um, five single figure draws in this race have finished in the top three in the last 10 years, just five, and only one of them has won it. That was Heaven's Guest back in 2015, but even last year, still 21, 23, 27, 26 were the first four home. So, I think being draw, drawn high at Ascot is just an advantage. Um, I didn't want to have to say it, but I do really like Blue Mist here. I think he makes plenty of appeal. Uh, he was sixth in the Victoria Cup uh, last year off a of mark of 97, third in this race last year off a of mark of 96. He's a pound lower this time round. He's unexposed over seven furlongs, just the four starts. 
Um, only three of those have come on turf. Um, the sec- uh, one of those was second behind Breath of Air on seasonal return. Now, he wasn't disgraced there, but um, I-, I did expect a little bit more. But he went off favourite for the Wokingham um, when last seen at 7-2. That was over six furlongs. He was slowly away and it- he was just denied him running. I thought that was a really, really <coughs> eye-catching run. Step back up to seven furlongs to, to suit him. There's just a there's a lot to like other than the price of nine to two at the head of a big field. Um, the only other one I would be slightly tempted to back in here is Mutamasic. I thought you could forgive that run um, last time in the Bunbury Cup when just he just bombed out. Um, he might be handicapped to his best off a mark of 102 now, and that might be the reason that Jim Crowley has gone over to to, to ride Elecam or prefers to go and ride Elecam um, because he has got off this horse three times now, which is a slight concern. Mm. But I thought he had a bit more to come. Um, this is a very, very tricky race. But Blue missed everything. He ticks every box uh, at the moment, apart from the price box. So if he, if he has a little drift on the day, uh, it'd probably be my selection. It's a funny one as well, because it's only in these big field handicaps where you think nine to two is a, is a short price. And often you swerve them. And then when they bolt up, you think to yourself, actually, you know what, maybe it wasn't such a short price after all. Uh, yeah, um, so- Andy, what, what do you make of uh, this seven-furlong handicap? Yeah, I quite like betting in these races. I don't mind having two or even three bets. Um, probably two, two's amount I'll, uh, the maximum amount I'll put up on site. But myself, personally, I wouldn't mind having a, a couple more just in case uh, if they're the right prices and I feel as though I've got a bit of an edge. Most bookmakers tend to go five, even six places when they've really no right to uh, trying to uh, attract your business. Uh, Dale's made a lot of um, sense with the... With the draw bias, um, it's something that obviously a lot of us pros uh, cottoned on to at a very early stage at the Royal Meeting. And no real reason to suggest it'll ride any different. The, the track might be quite narrow as well over the weekend. Obviously, they're saving certain parts of the course for later on in the season. And it's noticeable that t- the t- real two strong pace horses here, that's where you've got to look at where the likely pace is going to come from. The ones I can see with Jack's Point drawn 11 and uh, the other horse drawn 10 as well, um, Gin Palace. Like to force the issue. So you can see where they're drawn in the centre. They'll probably edge towards the near side and drag the ones that are drawn double figures in and around them into into the back end of the race. That was dead right with Blue Mist. Hugely unlucky in the Silver Woking, the Constellation race, won a course by Chief of Chiefs. Had he got a clear run, he might have won, he might not, I don't know. Hard to say with those unlucky horses where they would have finished. I think he has been priced up as if he's won the race. That's what I will say. Um, I think some sharks have got seven, eight to one about him in midweek because they've obviously spotted the run and wanted to get with him each way. Ryan Moore's been booked as well. That's also shaved another point or so, so off. So you're looking down a barrel around about four to one now, which to my, my eyes makes absolutely zero appeal, despite him being one of the most likely winners. Um, I'm looking for sort of double figure odds. And I do think Ebury um, also ticks quite a few boxes. Uh, another thing you need to be looking at here at Ascot, his horses have run well over the track before. He's a course winner. That was over a mile last year in a small field. And he ran um, in a, I think it was the Buckingham Palace, wasn't it? The first day, on the first race on the first day. Mm. And they split into three groups, funny enough, that day. And he actually won his group of four right on that far side row, which was uh, the, the swamp, as we like to call it, at Ascot, uh, where all the action took place near side. So, effectively, it's two for two here at Ascot. He doesn't know he hasn't won because he beat all the horses he's supposed to do <laughs> in and around them. Um Trained by Martin Mead as well, who's also been much better form than they were perhaps three or four weeks ago. As we saw Method win last week. He's drawn 13 right to where next to where the, the two big pace setters are. So I think he's got to be a player. And the other one to mention as well, 
at even bigger price. And this is basically born out of his track record here at Ascot. And that's Kings uh, Cliffs of Capri, drawn stall 18. Fourth in that aforementioned um, Buckingham Palace on his uh, latest run. He's also got some fantastic form if you go back and look at his career record here at Ascot. I don't think he's finished out the first four in five starts, winning, winning twice. He's also a winner in Maidan as well, over seven furlongs out there in the desert uh, in the middle of um, their summer stroke, our, our winter. So he remains in good form. And Jamie Osborne has always had a special affinity with these kind of seven furlong events. I think he won the inaugural running of the Booking Palace many years ago. Uh, and he runs in the colours of the uh, uh, they, uh, famous, what do they call them? The uh, something five, is it? The, or, the, or yeah. Melbourne, the Melbourne, Melbourne 10, isn't it? The Melbourne, Melbourne 10. 10. The Melbourne yeah. 10, the Melbourne 10, Melbourne 10 <clears throat> colours. So lots to like about those two prices. As I'm looking here now, I'm looking around about 8 to 1 Ebury, around about 14, 16 to 1 Cliffs of Capri. I'd probably back those two each way, thinking surely with our trap form, one of them being the frame at the very least. Well, there you have it. We've given positive words for the top four in the market there. Daryl Bloomist at 9 to 2 and Mutima Sick at 11 to 1. Andy there with a yeah strong case for, for Ebree. He'll be written by Sheen Murphy on the day at 7-1 to one currently. And Cliffs of Capri at 14-1 to one for Jamie Osborne. On to the 3 o'clock now, the nifty 50 handicap over one mile. And there is a, you know, if you don't like the short price favourites, well, I mean, far fewer runners here at the moment. Just, I think, eight currently run so be a bit careful when you're backing these each way in case one comes out but Saar is the 11 to 4 favorite for John Gosden written by Frankie Dottori uh Johan 7 to 2 Dance Fever 6 to 1 alongside Evening Sun Great Ambassador 7 to 1 Tell Me All 8 to 1 18 to 1 Air Harbor and Glass Vegas 25 to 1 Andy come to you first here what do you make of uh, of these a few unexposed types in there as well yeah, two I like. Um, I'm, I'm not, not suggesting I'm going to put two up in a race like this because there's a great deal of uh, mileage in that. I probably have to uh, work it down to one, and a lot depends on what odds they are on the day. And if all, of course, at the moment, dead eight runners uh, stay in, it's quite a good betting race if they do. Zars the favourite, as you mentioned. Um, he was a good second at Lord uh, Campari in a very strong time figure at Newbury uh, on his seasonal reappearance. And everyone cottoned on to that and backed Lord Campari's if he couldn't get beat next time out in the um, Sir Henry Cecil Stakes in Newmarket. But unfortunately, uh, the Varian horse pulled like a Mustang and just didn't get home. So you can't really judge him on that. He was he was workmanlike more than the spectacular Yarmouth, I thought. Yarmouth, I thought. Um, he subsequently gone up to Mark of 94, which is still OK. But he does face a couple of horses here, I think, uh, potentially could uh, be better handicapped than him. I do like Johan. I think he's a real strong, strong stayer at the trip. I would have actually fancied him to win the Britannia. I think he was down to running the Britannia, but they didn't go there. Maybe felt as though that run had come a bit too soon after running and winning at Newbury only a week or so before. Uh, they've left him off. They brought him here. Um, I still think 96 is workable. The yards now in unbelievably good form. Haggis team. I think he's the kind of horse that win one of these big Premier handicaps sooner rather than later. Maybe a Cambridge later on in the season because he say he's a strong stayer at the trip and he's got a good mind as well. You look at him the way he races. Whatever's in front of him, he just runs at it and he just keeps getting his head down and battling. Um, and he won't mind if there's a bit of rain around over the weekend. I think there's one or two showers forecast because it was on the easy side that day. What do you want at Newbury? And the other one to mention as well is Great Ambassador, who went through the uh, Britannia like a good horse. That Britannia was an ex- extremely strong time figure I got. I've been looking to follow that form. It has worked out ex- incredibly well. I think the Calusa, the winner, is a group horse in waiting. Finally, uh, um, finally, Sam, the horse that finished second, was really unlucky to bump into another well-handicapped horse next time out. 
So I think that form's good. He got hampered a little bit later on when he was beaten, but like I say, he went through the race like a nice horse. The better ground will suit him. So at the moment, those are my two against the field. I think they've run in good, solid handicaps where the pace has been strong, big feels. And I, I do like that when you run at Aspic. You need strong stays out over that stiff mile. So Johan, a great ambassador with my two. I had to concentrate on it. It's very moment in time. Seven to two, Johan. Best price at the moment. Great ambassador, seven to one for Rafe Beckett and Harry Bentley. Daryl, do you agree with Andy? Or you've you got a couple others that you want to take him on with? I do like Grey Ambassador. Um, it is one I'm leaning towards, but I really, really like this evening sun. This race is unbelievable. This is the one of the best races of the day. This is. Um, I've got a lot of respect for Zar. I think he's a fantastic horse, and I think he will prove better than 94 in time, no doubt. Um, he will be popular on the day. Frankie Dottori factor at Ascot, of course. 11 to 4 is mighty short, though, in this race because. Uh, even his son is making his handicap debut off a mark of 88. Now, he's given an opening mark of 78. Um, but he ran in a novice race at Newmarket and absolutely bolted up. Uh, he's gone up £10 for that. It was almost like connections weren't bothered about handicaps um, the, by the way he won. Uh, he was uh, the, the horse that was uh, second to him went out and ran third next time in a listed event behind Surf Dancers, rated 95, uh, and back Boccaccio, rated 97. In behind was symbolised Royal Commando uh, and Ventura Rebel, all rated in the hundreds. That looks strong for me. Did that with a minimum of fuss. But then you go back through his rest of his form. He was second behind King Leodonis uh, at Newmarket, previously beaten two lengths. Very green that day. Ran on really strongly. King Leodonis rated 102. I mean, he was he was hard pushed um, that day. Previous to that, he was behind Cherry Oakley Trail. That form is rock solid. Um, Obviously, we know what that horse has done. There's a horse who was in second called Imrahor, who Andy knows quite well, is keeping an eye on. Um, and Hukom, who won at Royal Ascot, was in third. Mm. He was just really green that day, didn't even know his job. This horse has got so much more to come. If he's not better than a mark of 88, I'll be absolutely shocked. He's a very strong stayer. This mile's definitely going to suit him. There's a little bit of, there's a drop of rain around Ascot <laughs> on Saturday morning. I just might take the sting out of the ground. They've done a bit of water in it as well this week. It's gone from good to firm to good, so that will benefit him as well. I think he's got loads more to come. Ryan Moore's on board, 6-1. to one. Lovely price, but you could make a very uh, a similar form case for a uh, great ambassador as well. He's had some really strong horses in behind. The likes of uh, Berkshire Rocco has been, been behind him at Goodwood. Uh, Diami, Mambo Knights, who's 93. King of Athens is rated 98. Um, his Chelmsford win, the horses in behind were rated 86 and 82. So a mark of 88 for him back on better ground, uh, he, he could go very well as well. I'd just worry if he was the strongest of stayers over this trip. That would be my only concern with him, but I think Evening Sun has got has got tons more to come. As often seems to be the case with these handicaps in, in kind of hot fields with unexposed horses, you probably have to run a good deal better than your mark. You know, you can outrun your mark and still come second or third in these. Um, yeah. But I like you talking about connections, not being too fussed about the handicap mark. I like the idea of the Queen on the phone to Roger, absolutely livid that the like, evening sun's been pushed out last time out, ruining her mark um, going forward. <laughs> Somehow I can't see it. But uh, yeah, evening sun for the Queen and trained by Roger Charlton and ridden by Ryan Moore is six to one. So that's Daryl's one. It seems like a fair bit of respect for Sarah at the top of the market, but not a price to get involved with at 11 to four. Johan, seven to two and great ambassador, seven to one. Two races to go. This is the last race we're going to cover at Ascot and it's fair to say it's probably not a brilliant betting heat it's over a mile four it's the King George uh, the second Queen Elizabeth yeah, stakes the group one on the day part of the British Champion Series and Enable returns 
after her run behind Gaia last time. And she's currently 8-15, to 15, being taken on by Japan at 100-30, Anthony Van Dyke 11-1, to 1, Sovereign 14-1. to 1. So three O'Brien runners to take on. Enable um, for John Gosden. As I say, four runner race. I know there'll be people listening out there with some very naughty each way bets with, with three places and they're getting a, and they're getting a run with only four runners. But this is what we've got at the moment. Andy, I'll come to you first here. What do we make of Enable's last run? Because anybody who listened to John Gosden and what he said about the way she came into the race beforehand would have seen that she looked like one of the worst even money shots of all time. She ran pretty much exactly as, as John Gosden expected her to, with, with Gaiaf going out in front and her being unable to chase him, chase him down. So how do we compare this current Enable to, to some of her best form over the past couple of years? I think she wasn't, as John Gosden said, on her A game uh, or, or to maximum capacity first time. I, I think anyone could see that. And I think Frankie rode her accordingly as well, didn't he? He was very easy on her in the last filling. He rode her just to come home nicely. He knew he couldn't win. He knew Gaiath was obviously still maintaining that very strong gallop like he did at Sandown. And Gaiath, as we've seen, he's one of the best horses in the world when he's let loose over a mile and a quarter. I mean, it's, it's not as if he got beat by a total muppet. Um, look, mile and a half is always the best trip. You know, it's that's when she comes into her own. Mile and a quarter, yes, of course, she's, she's fully effective over, but um, not against a horse like Gaiath, who effectively um, had about a six or seventh lead, length head, head start. Um, I think they would have been delighted with the run. Yes, they would have loved to have won the, the Eclipse, the prestigious race, but I think they've always had um, in it mind to come back and uh, make history here and win the King George again, which would be an astonishing feat. Win of the race the last two seasons. Reliable, tough as you like, classy as ever. A little bit unlucky not to win the arc, arguably. Slipping onto that fast side rail when Wall guys came down the middle on the better ground. I think Frankie would have run the race again. He might have stayed in his own lane. Um, and it's obvious how this race is going to be run. I'd, I'd imagine Sovereign's in there to make the running. Uh, I would have thought, he, looking at him, I thought he might have gone elsewhere. He looks more of a, an Irish St. Ledger horse or even a stay for next season. You know, like a, you know something to, um, to take over from Kew Guards and arguably further down the line. Um, he'll make the running for the other, the other two in, in, his, in their string, obviously Japan being the number one. So it's going to be an honest test. They won't want to make this a dawdle and they certainly want to make um, or keep her enable honest in the, in, if she is going to win. It's not a betting race for me. I can't see any other angle in there. The each way um, opportunities have been taken out. So unless you're absolutely desperate to have a bet in the race, and the only bet you can have arguably is Japan, because he's the only horse who is he's in that kind of bracket. You know, he's he's a, he's a top class horse in his own right. He hasn't quite come to himself so far this season. Royal Ascot was neither here nor there. He's, he's run last time out. A game was okay without being spectacular, and he only just scrambled down when he when he wasn't the um, the big race of Jumonte over in over at York last season. So you know, you're, you're hard pushed to be having your last fiver on him as well. So, look, if Darrell's got a strong view, I can't imagine he has because, he, by the sound of it, he doesn't like betting odds on and he, he like me, likes to look look for a little bit more uh, bang to his book then um, I'll let him let him have uh, the final say. But, yeah, I expect him able to win, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a bet in the race. It just doesn't make any pearl to me. Just to, for, for those who are wondering whether they should put <clears throat> Enable in their, their Saturday Acker, maybe, um, would you at eight fifteen the current best price? Would you be a, be a backer or a layer if I pushed? Um, I'd probably be a backer to be fair. Yeah, but but I could, they just make that. When I look at a race like this and I look at a horse like that, 
I'll just enjoy the race for what it is and just don't get involved from, from a betting perspective. We don't have to have a bet in every race, do we? Absolutely not. No. Although I've, I've heard you say you can find value anywhere, Andy, so I'm disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and, and sometimes I will bet odds on if I think something's a, a complete shoe in and I, I don't want to give it up. Um, but I mean, I'd never put a horse like that up on the site. You know, I'd, I'd get oh, left no. out of town when I put in a, a 47 <laughs> shot up. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, right, and rightly so, maybe. Uh, Daryl? Uh, yeah. 10 points when enabled. <laughs> no, I do completely agree. I think it's more of a fascinating race to watch uh, from a tactical perspective rather than a betting perspective. I think a lot is going to sit on Frankie's shoulders on how close does he sit to Sovereign um, because he sat quite well. I know it was just a prep run of the Eclipse, if you like. Um, he sat well off Goyath uh, and failed to pick up. Now, that was fitness, of course, but Sovereign, if he gets loose on the lead, I just wonder... What, what's Frankie going to do? Is he going to be more, more worried about Japan in behind him or is he going to be more worried about Sovereign ahead of him? Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I can't find any sort of angle into this race. Um, the one thing I will say is, though, I do think this might have been an early season target for Japan. He's only he's run over a mile and a quarter the last twice. His best trip is, of course, a mile and a half. He now has had those two runs and he steps up here. I think we're in for a really good race despite the four runners. Um, but uh, no bet, no bet for me. Just be interesting to see what Frankie does aboard Nable. I'll tell you what, I would, what, what, the one thing I will say about this race, and it's more of a track thing rather than it's putting the right horses on the right track. Looking at a horse like Sovereign, who's very much a strong front runner when he's at his best, obviously nicked, it, nicked the Irish Derby. Um, if this was at the Curra, I'd definitely have a few quid on him if he was like 16, 20 to 1, just because I think that track definitely plays into the strengths of front runners, the Curra. I think there's been... The last two or three years now, there's been a massive, massive bias to horses floating along in the, from the front and, and, and staying there. It's very hard to make ground from the back of the field. But Ascot is the absolute polar opposite. Horses that make the running hardly ever ever make all that. You go, you look at every round track race at Ascot this season. Whatever led turning for home was dead on its feet. Mm. And unfortunately, Sovereign, being a front runner, he's just going to be almost like a sacrificial lamb to the other three. Yeah, but he might just be a distraction <clears throat> for Frankie rather than anything else. Um, and putting Frankie to the test about how far he sits off the pace um, and Japan might just see if he can pick a neighbour up in the home straight later on. Um, Frankie will be aware that Sovereign obviously has won the, uh, won the Irish derby off the front end. Um, might, might, might have had a few nightmares about letting, in a, letting an O'Brien front runner go <laughs> in, the, in the last few weeks as well. Yeah, like, like I say, Andy, Andy is completely right. It's just an in, it's a fascinating race from a tactical perspective rather than a betting perspective. Yeah, interesting. And maybe for those who are desperate to find an angle, I'm just interpreting Andy's words, but maybe if there's a match bet on the day around picking prices between Anthony Van Dyke and Sovereign, um, you could side with the one who, who won't be front-running at Ascot. Maybe. But that's just my way of trying to make this a little bit more interesting from a betting <laughs> point of view. But it should be it, it should be a cracking race anyway. And fingers crossed. Enable gets home and can start, we can start looking ahead to another tilt at the arc. Uh, we're going north now. We're leaving Ascot. We're going back in time as well because the King George is at 3.35 at Ascot. We are going backwards and up north to the 2.40 at York, which is the Skybet York Stakes, the Group 2. And Daryl, you've already mentioned the favourite here in reference to Jim Crowley. So I'll start with you. But El Arkham is the 9-4 favourite. Uh, Aspatar is 5-1. to one. Fox Chairman, 6-1. to one. King of Comedy seven to one, uh, Regal Reality eight to one, 
and though that is your lot so at the moment just yeah just five runners i think as it stands currently um so and so daryl i'll start with you here yeah um, feels like a race you know a, a couple of, of horses here with hard luck stories recently who do you think is going to get their nose in front uh, to be honest with you, I, I'm still yet to work out the winner. It's a very, very tricky race, this. Um, Elikam is the right <laughs> favourite. You know, he goes well here at York. Form figures are 3-1, 3-1, I, I think. Um, he's the right favourite. The thing is, there's form lines that ties all of these horses in together. So Elikam obviously ties in with Telecaster from their meeting at, at Haydock when behind Lord North. Um, Telecaster ties through with a horse called Queen over in France with Aspitar. Aspitar and Fox Chairman tie in. And of course, Elecam had the beating of King of Comedy, giving him £7 and Regal Rally and Lord Glitters in the Judmont last year. So there's lots of bits and pieces of form to get stuck into. If you believe the form of the Haydock run behind Lord North, if you're a true believer that Lord North has improved £12 in three runs or two runs this season, then you ought to be snapping up this 9-4. to four. Because Elikan was very unlucky at Haydock. Um, Dane O'Neill set the fractions on him just to sort of stop-start gallop. It didn't really suit Elikan. He took a bit of a blow and then ran on again. Um, so he would have had the beating of that horse there. And given that horse is now rated four pounds below Enable, nine to four in a race like this for Elikan, you should be snapping up if you believe that horse. I think you can tear the Lord North form at Royal Ascot apart, personally. Um, so I'm not a total believer just yet. Look, there's there's lots to look about a few of these. I think King Comedy's got a bit to find, especially now £7 worse off of Elikan, but he does have conditions uh, to suit, so there'll be no excuses today. I am a sucker, and this is very unprofessional, but I'm a sucker for Fox Chairman at the moment. I was ready to leave him behind at, at Sandown, <laughs> behind Espita. I was ready to leave him behind as soon as he was about to fade away, and then he stuck on Gamely and stuck his head down and just gave me the impression there's a bit more to come from him. Um, he's quite, he's unexposed on, quick, on a quicker surface. He could have more to offer as a four-year-old. All of these do set a decent form standard, but none of them are going to go on to reach any bigger heights than what they are already, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to give Fox Chairman one last try. Six to one is a little bit on the short side for me. I prefer eights, so we'll see what happens <laughs> in the day. Uh, eights or nines, maybe. Prefer double figures. No. But, uh, but look, I'd prefer. Yeah. Tipping up my price isn't there. I'd prefer. I think the most likely winner is Elikar, uh, but I'll yeah. be taking a chance on Fox Chairman, unprofessionally. Elikar, um, nine to four, Fox Chairman, currently six to one. I should say, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the markets are reforming. And when I loaded up my old checker grid, Telecaster and Lord Pitters weren't showing, but I've refreshed. And Telecaster is three to one, and Lord Glitter is ten to one. So just to make up the field there, Andy. Before I come to you, um, what do you? Well, yeah, what, what's catching your eye at the moment with this um, seven-runner field? Uh, well, the figures definitely point to Elikam in every which way you look at it. He's clocked some amazing speed figures when he's been absolutely at his best, and there's no doubt that York does bring out the best in him. Uh, when he beat a day here in this race last year, I literally could not believe my eyes because. I thought a day was a good thing that day. You know, the rain had come for him um, and he went into the race in really good order, having won at Sandown very easily. And then Alakam just turned him away as easy as you like. I think he won by about three and a half lengths, but he was very strong in the latter part of his race. And I think that's the key to him. He always seems to hit a little bit of a mini flat spot here, then everywhere. He should have won the Judd Monty, but 
he got in a bit of a pocket when they quickened. They didn't go overly quick that day, and he got left behind and then ran on very strongly. Um, and he was he was he was really good here. Went last year, like I say, when they had soft ground, and he was able to go a nice gallop and quicken off that um, and quicken off that ga- that gallop and, and win quite readily. If it does rain on the Naismar on Saturday, and I think um, Daryl's already pointed out, uh, and I've seen as well that there is quite a bit of a a low front coming over from the Atlantic uh, over the Friday into Saturday period. And if it goes good to softer or even softer in places, that 94 I don't think will last too much longer. Um, he should confirm for me telecast, of course, was behind him uh, when, the, when he finished um, second to Lord North at Haydock. And I think Telecaster, he hasn't really come back to the, the kind of form in my eyes that saw him beat uh, Two Darn Hot when he won the Dante uh, a couple of years ago. Yes, he's been running okay. He's winning last time out in Chauncey. It doesn't really matter so much to the horse that finished second to Philly called Romanesca. Uh, he's only a listed Philly at best. I've been looking at those French um, form lines throughout the course of the last um, three or four months. King of Comedy is just too, too much of a dodge pot for me to have anything to do with it. And I don't think he truly stays a mile and a quarter. The only time he tried it was in this race last year. Sorry, in the Judd Monty last year when he's run flattened out and Elecan was definitely going away from him at the finish. Uh, I'm also a bit of a sucker for for uh, Fox Chairman. So, so much, so, oh, no. so, much so, so much so that I actually put this horse up to win the uh, the Queen Anne uh, first time out this year, but he got a bad draw and, and unfortunately Sylvester didn't really get him to settle, and it, that was that really. Um, uh, yeah, he did run much better um, at Sandown behind um, uh, many cores. Of course, Espatar was second and a good second at that. So those two are very closely matched. I thought Espatar ran a nice race that day. Uh, he, he was out the back, very keen. He came with a lovely run out on the outside too. It looked like he was going to win. Didn't quite get home, but the, the, the exertions of that, that exuberance early on uh, rather took its toll. Um, I think he's a player. So there's, this is a really trappy, trappy race. Again, with the only seven runners, it's... it's you're forced to have a win bet, really, and because I'm forced to have a win bet, and I've got to go with the figures, and it have to be with Alakan, particularly as I said, with the rain coming. I like um, nine to four there for Andy with the rain on its way uh, in the York Stakes, and two of the most reluctant tips I've ever heard, maybe uh, for Fox Chairman, but maybe look out for for a bit of a drift, as we say, seven runners, so just the two places, and that is the end of this podcast and video previewing Saturday's racing, focusing on the one no-bet race of the weekend in the King George, but looking at a few races at Ascot and one at York. And and thank you as ever to both Daryl and Andy for their expertise uh, in their tipping. You can find both of their tips every day uh, using OddsChecker or on the OddsChecker app. I implore you to download the app immediately. You're listening to this that means you like betting on horse racing and if you like betting on horse racing then you need to have the odds checker out for all of the best um odds the best free bets the best tipsters as well such as these two enjoy the racing and most importantly please gamble responsibly